Howdy Fox, the ghost of Robert Stack here. I used to haunt Double J's nightmares, and now I have hijacked his podcast. Hawks of the interwebs, welcome to another Shenanian, infused journey into the mind of this particular garbage can dud. Cam let you life slash recorded from the studio slash spare bedroom, deep in the foothills of Appalachia, directly from the number one drug overdose death capital of America, per capita of course. Now Double J will still be your pilot and navigator for this Operation GCD adventure. Normally Double J would prescribe a Shenanigan infused journey into the mind of that particular garbage can dud. However not too defaults of the interwebs. Today it is a topic of a far more serious nature. Murder and a gross miscarriage of justice. That is the case of the quadruple homicide that occurred in the early morning hours of November 13, 2022 in Moscow, Idaho. 2D Double J is honored to join Nick and Ron to discuss the case and more specifically discuss Double J's assertion that suspect Coberger did not do it. continue on this uh, very weird topic and this is part four of the idaho four and uh i actually this time i did change it i put brian kohlberger didn't do it with a question mark maybe that'll be a little bit easier for some people <laughs> <laughs> to take instead of the exclamation point but uh yeah I'm, I'm very happy to finally get back to this topic this is something that uh all three of us have been chatting about and talking about since the last time so uh, I think this is going to be a real good one. And, uh, you know, there is other shows out there that I'll make sure that I give uh, you know credit for. They've come out with some really good, uh, interesting research, I think, since the last time. So uh, without further ado, this is, the, I guess, the Idaho Four. Brian Kohlberger didn't do it. And I got Ron and I got JJ with me again. Uh, Ron, why don't you go first and let everybody know what's up and where they can find all your other stuff before we get going. Yeah, thank you, NY. I'm Ron from New England, from the Wicked Planet podcast, and uh, just want to thank you for bringing me on again for the fourth installment yeah. of this series, which has been very interesting, and uh, and I'm easy to find. Just go look up the Wicked Planet podcast or go on Instagram and look for Ron from New England, all one word. And thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Thank you. And JJ, let everybody know what's up with you. Nick, Ron, uh, nice to see you folks again, and uh, folks of the interwebs, thanks for joining us for this conversation. J.J. Vance, just uh, wanted to introduce some of my podcasts, the Operation GCD podcast, for those not familiar, located anywhere podcasts are found, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram under, uh, at Twitter, or X, at Operation GCD, and then on Twitter, uh, Instagram, at Operation underscore GCD, and I also have... Um, a sub stack I just started in regards to the Idaho four murders and that's operation GCD dot sub stack. And I'll send the links to Nick so we can put them in the show notes. Awesome. But, uh, that, that series I've entitled, uh, based upon a, a quote here and out of the case of the Idaho four murders. That's, uh, was, uh, what the, the police, the Moscow police declared immediately at following the murders back on their first press conference on November 16th of last year, they declared the, the, the homicides, an isolated targeted attack. 
And that's, that's why I've made my series kind of, you know, I'm trying to put, uh, all of my thoughts and ideas here we've discussed on our previous shows and, and shows today here and uh, trying to put all those thoughts and ideas into a more cogent sight picture of the, uh, the Idaho four case and uh, the case where, which I would assert uh, as states based upon the state's own evidence that uh, Koberger did not do it. So um, I'm, I'm fairly upfront with uh, my, uh, my assertion in that series that uh, law enforcement has bungled this case. There is a great injustice present. And, uh, and I, I actually would argue that, that justice needs to be served for the, for these victims and uh, to stop violating suspect Koberger's rights. Those are kind of my points on that, but looking forward to the conversation. Uh, thanks again for the invite and uh, of course. great, of course. great to see you folks again here today. Of course. Yeah. No, thank you. I think this has, you know, been a great, great series, you know, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I don't know where you guys want to start with this one. I know since the last one, uh, there has been some some pretty good, I think, research done between us and just even other shows that I've come across. So, I mean, I you know, uh, I know, like I said, I put a question mark, but honestly, the more and more and more time that goes on, even between us covering this, I do even think this is just more weirder and shadier and something is really wrong. Oh, for sure. If I I may tee off a a topic that we've discussed kind of previously in our previous discussions, Ron, I know is focused on it. I focus on you have as well, Nick. So we've all kind of asked the same question. How did they get to Coburger in the first place? We've had, we've had various discussions since our last discussion, Coburger's defense counsel is actually asking that point blank to the state as the state continues to block discovery and continues to play these lawfare games. As we discussed last time, Ron, there's a lot more lawfare going on now. Mm in the case. And part of that is the, the, the push to now just blatantly asking, well, outright stating the state that, you know, the Coburger's defense counsel is outright stating the state of Idaho authorities are, have basically planted, someone has planted this DNA evidence, right? They haven't said necessarily planted the sheets, but they're, they're asserting that someone's planted this evidence in part of this discovery back and forth. And the, the state's played a bunch of games, you know, we can get to later as well in the discussion of the DNA evidence, but just mm-hmm. up front, they're really focusing on the, how did they get to Coburg or part of the investigation? Right. And we've, we, again, we've all asked that same question and, and Nick and I were back and forth and Ron, you may have seen some of the messages kind of putting it on the chronological timeline. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense how they got to Coburg because if you compare what law enforcement authorities stated in the, in the affidavits and filings from court, what, how did they proceeded with the investigation after November, we'll call it November 29th, because that's the date in their own documents that they identified Koberger as a person of interest. But they did that by using his 2015 white Hyundai Elantra. While at the same time, they're looking for a 2011 to 2013 white Hyundai Elantra. So it makes no sense then, eight days later on November 7th, I'm sorry, December 7th, they asked for public assistance, widely broadcasted every news media outlet, everything looking for public assistance to, to speak to the occupant or occupants about 2011 to 2013 white Hyundai Elantra. So if you look at, look at that objectively, why in the world would they, would, be, would they be flooding their tip line? You know, literally they said tens of thousands of calls, right? Per this request for tips when they nine days prior, they had already, according to their own documents had identified Koberger via his 2015 white Hyundai Elantra. So not only should they not be looking for a white Hyundai launch at that point, they shouldn't be looking for a 2011 to 2013 because they've already got Coburger. They've had him for nine days as a person of interest, right? And then you go one step further and look at the documents and the affidavits 
and see how law enforcement proceeded with other suspects or persons of interest in the case, right? Whereas they interviewed these people, took DNA samples, right, or requested them, and got them otherwise if the person didn't give them up, right? They, they followed one guy around, got a cigarette butt, supposedly. This is according to the own narrative and, and the affidavits by law enforcement. And they didn't do any of that with Coburger, right? So they have Coburger as a suspect. He's on campus until December 14th, right? So for over 15 days, they don't question the man. They don't ask him for his DNA. Instead, there's this whole nationwide manhunt for the guy that never really occurred, right? Indiana authorities said no one ever told them to pull him over. You know, FBI never chased him across the the, uh, the, the United States, as, as was widely reported by media, right? So then all of these factors collectively ask the question, how did they get to Coburger? Because clearly their own narrative shows that they did not get to Coburger in any legitimate or objective way, right? You know, I didn't even realize that when the bolo went out for that, it even covered the area that he went to school in. You know, the... the, the... So, I mean, I... I, I don't know. Like, I just was surprised by that. It was only like 8.3 miles away, right? Yeah, the campuses, the cities are very much function as one. Because I mean, that's supposedly where they identified the car, actually, according to, I mean, what was I was on the Washington State campus, right? Yeah. Right. You know, th- th- and strangely actually- enough, strangely enough, <laughs> and I think this just speaks to the, you know, them trying to say we really got the right guy because two different officers in Pullman, Washington, identified or Washington state university police identified his, uh, white Hyundai Elantra on campus within 30 minutes of each other. Independent, allegedly independently of one another, two different officers identified him on November. But again, this is November 29th. So if they already have him, they've never, they don't, they don't question him for the next 15 days. They let him leave the state. They don't, they don't ask him for DNA. Like they questioned and asked these other suspects or persons of interest for DNA. Right. So comparatively speaking, they're the way their investigation, according to their own records approached is widely different than the way they handled it versus allegedly against Coburger. Right. And on top of that, again, if they're identifying them via this 2015 Elantra on the campus, two different officers, right. Within 30 minutes of each other independently, as the story goes, um, just to make, yeah, I think that again, that they're just trying to drive home. We really got this guy. Right. But again, if they're looking, if they got them in the 2015 on November 29th, the 2015 Elantra, why would they flood their tip lines with tens of thousands of calls on December 7th for a 2011 to 2013 white Hyundai Elantra, right? You tracking what I'm saying? Yeah, it doesn't make yeah. any objective sense. It's not helping your investigation. If anything, it's providing a great hindrance to your investigation. Well, and mean, again, whole- what are you looking for? You already got the guy. You already identified him nine days prior. What are you? Why are you asking for questions? Why are you asking for tips? What I don't understand is like even if you go by like when you when they thought that they knew that they had the guy, why did you let so much time go by and never once question? Like you were saying, you, exactly. Yeah. But you question all these other people that you were just you know random chance just checking out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a great point because there's no clear indicator that those other suspects or persons of interest that were questioned that did have their DNA tested, right? There's no clear indication that any of those individuals drove a white Hyundai Elantra, right? So if they're looking for this white Hyundai Elantra as a key aspect of, of their suspect, why are you inquiring with suspects who don't drive a white Hyundai Elantra? Why are you getting their DNA? But then you're not getting the DNA and questioning the individual who does drive a white Hyundai Elantra, Coburn, right? Uh, it doesn't make, you're right, it doesn't make any sense. Another thing and, I th- and it also begs the question is, once again, did they question any of the other 94, approximately 94 owners of registered parking passes on both college campuses, Washington state and university of Idaho, were those other approximate 94 owners questioned 
in the search for this the owner of this white owner occupants of this white Hyundai Elantra because there's no clear indicator that ever occurred either in, the, in their own documents. Yeah, see, I had brought that up before. Right. Uh, you know, if if there was so many white Elantras registered or you know on either campus, you know, did they take the time? to go through and uh, interview these people, even if it was just something quick, like, hey, you know, your your vehicle matches the description of one that we're looking for. I just got a few questions for you. And, 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 what their, and what their probably excuse was, well, they didn't have the manpower to do that. Now you're talking, you know, you know roughly a hundred cars that are in close proximity <laughs> that fit the description of the car that they're allegedly looking for. Right? Oh, for sure. Right. So, but that leaves out the other, however many thousand there were registered in the state of Washington and the state of Idaho. Right. So, so they're not talking about any of those now. Now, if they're going with the, we don't have the manpower to do that. Why would they put a tip line out that would absorb more <laughs> manpower when you see, this is my point. So why complicate the case? And and here's my other question. So once they decided that Koberger was the man, right? Right. Did they stop investigating the other prior people of interest? They did. Yeah. Did they just stop questioning them because <laughs> they're like, okay, so we got Koberger dead nuts here. So why so why waste our time because our time is so valuable <clears throat> why would we waste our time interviewing or looking further into these people and that's and that's the thing that's very suspect as we've said in the prior episodes is how did Koberger become the person of interest based on like minute like coincidences no, I, no, you make some great points, Ron. I mean, th- oh. there is no clear indicator what what went on there as far as whittling down any sort of other leads or anything else. And you're right. Why would they flood their tip line with these er- clearly erroneous tips if it was designed to be an objectively genuine, you know, approach to obtain information from the general public? Which, by all appearances, it has the only appearance that it was done only to put on this this charade of an actual investigation, right? Yeah. And yeah. and and then the FBI analyst who, ident- who allegedly identified the 2011 to 2013 white Hyundai Elantra on unknown video footage. So the video footage shown to the public of this vehicle, especially from the gas station on the state highway leaving town, right? At three forty-five in the morning, that is not the footage that was used to ident- allegedly identify Coburger. Now the footage used allegedly to identify Coburger is not, there's no clear indicator of that either. Right. In fact, the video evidence that has been allegedly the total video evidence has been supplied to Coburger's counsel, according to Coburger's counsel's arguments has shown the wrong vehicle at the wrong time in the wrong place. And the vehicle shown is clearly not the, their clients, the suspect Coburger's vehicle. So there seems to be more games being played with this video footage. So no one really knows what video footage was used, but the analyst said he went back and watched the video footage that he used the first time to identify the 2011 to 2013. And upon the second, upon his reanalysis, the FBI agent decided that it was a 2011 to 2016 White Honda Elantra, but does not specify in what characteristics or details that caused him to, to change his analysis and judgment of the vehicle again more trickery being played with these with these factors and details i I like to say that 
the evidence on on the surface appears strong. It's all circumstantial, but it appears somewhat strong circumstantial evidence, but it's wafer thin. Upon any scrutiny, any aspect of this case fails almost immediately. Yeah. And again, this video evidence is, is a clear indicator. You know, and the thing is, too, in my opinion, the video evidence, at least, you know, what what they're seeing and what we're seeing could be two different things. But oh, it's absolutely. not it's not 100% clear to me that it's a Hyundai Elantra at all. I, again, I don't know, that, you know, until any video is produced or even, even to <laughs> the suspect's defense counsel so they can verify what this is. Because, again, according to them, the only video that's been produced to them is not their client's vehicle. It's not at the right place for these crimes to have occurred at the wrong time. It's at the wrong time, wrong place, and, you know, et cetera, f- for to even be involved in, in this murder. Yeah, the thing that interests me is 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 why they're so hell-bent on pinning it on uh, Kohlberger. Because it's it's almost like, okay, so we know this is what he drives for a car, so let's make this fit into the evidence. You know, it basically could be as simple as that. No, because, I, you I know, agree with we, you, and they're doing that right now, right, with his alibi, right? You kind of called it out in our last discussion yeah. that, you know, yeah. one of the one of the positive advantages for Kohlberger not providing his alibi is so they can't bend the, any more evidence around whatever information he provides. Well, here's the thing, like it's still playing games with discovery, right? I mean, we, we're still not seeing what they have for discovery, yeah. right? So, so they're right. holding a lot of that back. So is the fact that they might not even have the proper car because this, this car, this and this one little piece of contact DNA is basically all they have to go on is the fact that maybe they don't have the car correct or that they, it's going to appear that they made this car fit into the evidence causing the delay for the discovery. I like your, I like the kind of where we're going with our previous discussion in our last, last discussion, Ron. And that was this silver and colored uh, sedan. that looks striking. It's a Ford, uh, I believe fusion. Maybe it looks strikingly similar to the white Hyundai Elantra, especially at nighttime is any, is the vehicle that any camera picked up in the area. I question whether or not there was any vehicle whatsoever at all that even resembled a white Hyundai Elantra other than this undercover Moscow PD uh, vehicle that was doing the, the the drunk check there on the road just in front of front of King Street, the adjacent roadway or the parallel roadway there um, near the Banfield, the infamous Banfield drunk student video. That's mm. the same same cops that were yes. operating this silver and color undermarked sedan. Now, if you look on any of the, the Moscow PD records in the, st- in the city of Moscow, they don't have any unmarked vehicles. If you listen to the, to the, uh, the officer's, statements to the drunk college students at the in, in their body cam footage they they're saying that that's a department vehicle and they were they were trading in they traded in to get electrical vehicles yes. hybrid vehicles for the for the for the uh, police and, and but they didn't there's no, there's no record of that <laughs> you, I, I saw somebody actually go through the whole process of like showing you the amount spent like that the department even claimed on spending oh, yeah. on it and what they spent it yeah, on. And it, that I, is bu- not budget and financial records are always available like that. And it does not show that they have that car does not exist technically. Yeah. Yeah, Very for sure. Weird. No, you're right. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Weird. And anyone in the public can go look on the city's website and look at the budget. They're on but the budget documents there and it's accessible to the public and you can see that they, they don't have any unmarked vehicles. <laughs> So then it begs the question, is that the vehicle seen on any camera footage? And what? And then it also begs the question of who were the assailants and what were they driving? You know, because, again, I don't think it's one, but, you know, so what What, what are they operating? And I, I mean, I have some suggestions on how I would approach that home and remain, and remain virtually 
undetected, and that is parking on the road on the hillside north of the home, on, up the hill from the backside of the, the home, and there's a trail that actually runs through the woods there from that street up there, and you could you could park a car up on the street up there, walk to that trail, be in the backyard, accessing either one of the sliding doors because the upper level sliding doors clearly accessible. Um, you have to go through a little bit more effort than, than walking through the, the, uh, the main sliding door on the second level of the home from the backyard. However, that would be the, the, the most optimal egress point to the home to remain unseen. So then you're not likely going to see any of the assailant's vehicle on any camera in the area. See what I'm saying? And they didn't, they provably didn't even ask people immediately around the house questions and, and provably the law enforcement provably did not get very, very demonstrably did not get security camera footage from numerous parties, including the infamous gas station footage we discussed before, which shows a vehicle at three forty-five heading out of town. That looks like a white Hyundai Elantra, but you can't tell for certain what it is. Something interesting. I want to add for when it comes to unmarked cars, just from my experience in my state, uh, and I know other states like Florida does this also. They will take a vehicle that's an off-the-street vehicle that may have been either impounded or forfeited or something like that and register it with regular license plates. And right. this is what they use for unmarked cars, and there's no record of these cars with the PDs. Now, I don't know how they how they would be able to do that. I mean, there has to be some form of paper trail as to who this car belongs to and who it's registered to. But I do know the state of New Hampshire. Now, I don't know what they do now, but I can tell you what they used to do. They had a whole bunch of cars, and one of them was one of those uh, uh, Dodge Stealths, or it was the Mitsubishi 3000 GT. <laughs> okay. That, that so these, they are drug, these are drug it, seizures that they're, that they're taking, it, taking control of. And it had regular license plates on it. did not right. have any governmental license plate or very distinctive New Hampshire state police uh, license plate on it. That's, you know, they're numbered. You can pick one of those out a mile away, but this is something that undercovers, like if they have a, a real undercover department and they need cars that are off the record and say, you know, you get some people like criminals, they're very good at vetting things like, like they want to see, okay, this person that's coming around, you know, trying to do business with us. Let's run his plate and see who belongs to that. Sure. Well, while the unmarked people, they need to make sure that that plate actually goes back to something because if no, it goes back point. to nothing, it's going to be a red flag. That's a good point, Ron. As, as usual, detective Ron with an excellent, excellent, excellent assessment of the situation here. Now I agree with you. They, uh, and that's very common because they do drug with drug seizures, right? And the departments will seize a vehicle and, and, and repurpose that as an undercover undercover vehicle and i think that that i actually think that's a very plausible scenario here in this circumstance but then it begs the question is why are these officers sitting there out of you not in uniform not in a you know in a, in a police patrol car so by all by all appearances undercover i mean they have kind of their belt their duty belts on and a radio and stuff but they're not wearing a uniform they're not wearing they're not in a marked car right because the kids even said to them, I didn't know who you guys were at first. I thought you were messing with us, like somebody claiming to be the police. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. And uh, and here's the other thing, too. If they're going to go through the trouble to have an unmarked car that's not traceable, uh, what is their reason for having that other than a lot of drug trafficking or maybe human trafficking going on in this area? Which, oh, which, sure. can, which can lead us back to... Uh, this funky email that NY got from somebody was very interesting, 
which states that there's a possibility or more so that more than a possibility that this house was actually under surveillance prior to these kids living there for drug and human trafficking activity. Uh, what is, oh, that, your, imp- what is your input me. on that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. That's kind of my assessment already. So I'd love to hear some more details. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to get kind of like conspiratorial or anything, but like, tell you the truth, if if that if that was the situation, I could see now that whole tunnel system that I think True Crime Design and uh, Drip Drop have both showed by now that there is an existing tunnel system that runs from like the I think the heating area or the heating plant uh, throughout that area, and there is one down on the map that is supposedly in that property or very close to it. And there's like other areas, I think where there's manhole covers or something like that. And so like, if there was that stuff going on, I could see utilization of those tunnels as silly as it sounds. Okay. So it may sound silly to a lot of people. However, I can tell you from experience in the city of Concord, which is the capital of New Hampshire has massive tunnel systems that go all over the city because Concord is old school and they had a steam plant that used to supply all the heat to all the state buildings, including the state house. Well, isn't the that kind house, of what the tunnel the system ha- is too? I think for, I, that's, I think that's exactly what the tunnel system is for the same thing. It's, it's for that. And it's also to, uh, because the tunnel system in the city of Concord is actually tied to what they call New Hampshire hospital, which is AKA the nut house. And, and, and I know because I've been in those tunnels and those tunnels connect all the buildings from all them complexes. Now where the New Hampshire hospital is located is about six blocks from where the state house is. Cause the state house is right on main street, but you have all these adjacent buildings that are that are like they have the state house. They have this is what they call the state house annex. There's tunnels that go to all of these buildings, and and a lot of them are for utilities, but like you say, mostly for the steam heat. So if if there's tunnels being reported close to this area and close to these universities, well, that would make sense. Because it would make sense that these tunnels actually do exist because a lot of these big, huge complexes, they don't have their own personal heating systems, right? They have a major heating system that's located who knows where, and they have tunnel systems that that all this stuff runs through. And, of course, these tunnel systems make for great escape routes or, as JJ would say, ingress routes. You know, I mean, and, they, I mean, and they are nobody's. Built- you're looking above the ground for assailants. You're looking above ground. You're not thinking about are they traveling underground? And if there's and if there's a manhole that's in cro- close proximity to 1122 King Street or King Road, that is absolutely a possibility that's that a the, good assail- that's a good the assailant point, or assailants, because I don't think whoever did this acted alone. And this is another reason why. If Kohlberger did do it, he didn't act alone, but I don't really think he did it. Just my personal opinion. (laughs) Right. Now that's a good point, Ron, because there's a complete absence of evidence of anyone leaving that scene. Right. And let's say even the roommates, I see, I question whether or not even the roommates were present in that home, even when the 911 call was made or even the night before, quite honestly. But 
specifically when the 911 call was made, because let's say, let's say they call six people, right? Which is roughly is roughly the story. Those six people come into the house. They're all walking in this bloody home where this murder occurred, right? Again, this whole un- unconscious person doesn't make any sense. It is what you would say if you're not in the home and you want the police to go there. You wouldn't want to admit to knowing there's blood everywhere and stuff like that. That I would agree with. And now one call was made for an unconscious person, right? So, and allegedly the two roommates called all these people over. Well, they'd be tracking stuff out of there too, but no, there's no blood tracks anywhere, right? So one, I think it's a good point of it could be subterranean on their, you know, their egress point from the murder scene. And two, it really draws the question, were the roommates even home? Did all these people come over there, right? Because as the story goes, the roommates made the 911 call. A friend made a 911 call from the room, the surviving roommate's cell phone. Doesn't say which one, one of the two. Leave it, they leave that up as very, being ambig- ambiguous because no one will release the 911 call, which seems odd to me as well because yeah. why would you not release the 911 call? What's the 911 call going to – like this isn't the, uh, you know, a school shooting where the 911 calls were held back, you know what I mean? This is not uh, anything graphic on the 911 call, right? This is someone reporting uh, an unconscious person supposedly according to the, the written record of the, of the, of the report. So a lot of questions there, but I think it is, that's a great point to bring up that they, they may have departed the scene underground as opposed to above ground. Cause again, there's no evidence that, of any blood or anything out, outside the home. I mean, it's very, very mysterious in that regard. You know, and one of the reasons I even, uh, even entertain that, uh, you know, theory was cause like I did actually, you can see videos and, like, again, like, even with the way Ron was saying, like, you know, it's steam. You know, so, like, they have room in case this stuff breaks. You know, it, it, this isn't like these little tunnels that people are squeezing by pipes right, to commit right, right. these crimes. These are actually, like, there's room. Yeah, walk, walkways, underground yes. walkways. Yeah, I mean, there yeah, I are mean, certain it, areas. There, the tunnels, the tunnels that in. they have in the city of Concord, you could drive a golf cart in easily. Nice. Yeah, yeah, so it's not like, you know, yeah. if people don't want to get a visual of what we're even talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do have small. a comment about the 911 call, though. Sorry to interrupt you, NY. No, no, go but, ahead. I'm uh, the 911 calls or any 911 calls that are associated with this case would be part of discovery. And this yeah. is something that should be in discovery because, uh, you know, there's, there's like a lot of questions just based on the 911 calls, right? I mean, that's something that nobody's even talking about other than, JJ, what you just said. Right. Now, now all these have to be in discovery, yet we're still waiting for discovery. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 it's, oh, and this is absolutely ridiculous that it's taken this long for discovery to come out, number one. And I still said, like I said in previous episodes, the discovery is not being released. Uh, of course, they're, they're holding it hostage against Koberger because Koberger was uh, refusing to give up his alibi, right? Like initially. So, but now what's the excuse now? Why are we holding it up? Because are you waiting because you need to find more, more evidence to fit your narrative to put into your discovery, to even present to somebody? Because we know that getting convicted in a court of law is going to be a lot different than getting a grand jury to go ahead and say, yeah, you have enough to arrest him and indict him. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So all on, that right? is going to be in discovery yeah. and then it can be picked apart. You know, the really thing that bothers me about this, that Koberg didn't have somebody come forward like, like a big time lawyer that really knows what they're talking about and say, look it, you know, I'm out here. I'm just kind of interested in this case. 
I really feel as though there's some 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 like high strangeness shenanigans going on here. I'm going to take this case pro bono just because that's how strongly I feel that there could be a potential miscarriage of justice here. We're not seeing any of that because Brian Kohlberger basically has a public defender. You know, you bring up a good point. I think that, yeah, there is some, some stuff to be said about. There is no attorney really standing up for him. I mean, in fact, you have characters like Mark Garagos, who are kind of a famous criminal defense attorney, Michael Jackson, Scott Peterson, you know, the Lacey Peterson murder. Um, he's out there doing interviews, basically incriminating Brian Koberger along with the rest of these media pundits, you know? So it is kind of interesting that there is a lack of that. just like, there's a lack of reward that was ever placed out by authorities in the search of who done it, you know what I mean? Way before they allegedly got to Koberger, usually you would see a reward and stuff like that. So there's a lot of anomalies in that department for sure. But as far as this public defender goes, even how he got the public defender is kind of mysterious, right? Because much like any any state, you you have to go to a hearing. You have to file basically file a motion. It's a standard form, you know, but it's a motion you file with the court saying I'm in, indigent, I cannot afford counsel, and I need a public defender assigned to me based upon the state's expense. And that doesn't seem to have ever occurred here. Coburger may have been able to fill out the form when he got arrested in Pennsylvania. However, when he landed in Idaho, he'd already had Ann Taylor on the case which has always kind of been bizarre to me because he could have filled out the form, but you have to have the hearing still. Right. And there's no advanced like, Hey, we decided you're, you qualify, right? Like they have to have a hearing on the, the, uh, the, the sign, the public expense for an attorney to you. So I don't know how that went down. It seems very mysterious. However, from moment one though, Ann Taylor has been ardently defending her client. So I would, well, she is a public defender. I think she's done a great job. I like, I, she, well, I like what she's doing with the alibi too. A lot of people diminish her because of the alibis and her diminished cover. But look, they admitted to precisely what the state's arguing right now, right? They said <laughs> Brian Coburger likes to drive around by himself in the early morning hours because that's all the state has asserted so far. They've produced no other evidence, discovery, anything else. They produced, phone records saying that his phone had pinged in these things and that his phone was either turned off, put on airplane mode, or as they don't like to tell you, simply did not receive any calls, texts, or activity for the time period in which they claim his phone was turned off. Right. That's a little, that's the little asterisk. They don't like to tell you, they say turned off or an airplane mode. Right. So they have very limited evidence. What the alibi has done is they've admitted to what the evidence supports. They're saying, look, show us this discovery, the DNA evidence, the video of the car, how, now they're saying, show us precisely how you got to Coburger, right? Because they're not going to do any other actions on their end from the defense until the state takes other actions. Again, it's part of that lawfare stuff. So I know a lot of people are, are suspect about the alibi. I think the alibi is, I think she's doing a great job. And, and uh, I forget the fellow, she's got a co-counsel, some guy. But I think they're doing a great job at defending Coburger so far. And one of the first things they did was stop the destruction of the home. Granted, the home is back to being possibly getting destroyed again, but it would have been destroyed already had it not been for his, his defense counsel. Yeah. I did want to add that JJ, that I think Ann Taylor is doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I, didn't I wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't want to say that you didn't think that or anything. I was just saying, well, well, I, I didn't want to say, stuff. I didn't want to say anything disparaging or whatever, because she's doing a good job for sure. Yeah. My point is in some up, up and coming, defense attorney that's, you know, probably uh, evolved from being a prosecutor to being an ambulance chaser. 
This case would be the perfect opportunity to put yourself in the limelight, even if you were doing it pro bono, like pay me later, because the amount of money that I'm going to make on other cases, when I prove that Brian Koberger is actually innocent or there's not enough evidence to convict him, which is not the same as being innocent. Okay. No, for sure. I don't, I just, for the life of me, knowing lawyers like I do, I can't believe that somebody (laughs) hasn't, somebody hasn't stepped up. Like you say, Mark Garagos, perfect example. Uh, Even F. Lee Bailey back in the day. Now that's before you guys' time. I don't know if you're familiar with F. Lee Bailey. No, I recall F. Lee Bailey, Boston Strangler, uh, O.J. Simpson's dream team. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, you know, even even Kardashian, I mean, this is where all the Kardashians got their money was from their dad. He was one of OJ's lawyers, right? He wasn't that well-known before that. I mean, he was, but not to that extent. So sure. so that, that to me is just kind of interesting. Now, the thing about the phone, just devil advocate here, uh, if, if they're saying that one of the co- things that Kohlberger liked to do was in the early morning hours drive around in his car or whatever, you know, I can tell you from personal experience, like when I need to relax and I need brain time and I don't want to be disturbed, I go for a drive. Yeah, I don't think it's it used, it used to be go for motorcycle rides back in the day, uh, but go for a drive and the first thing I do is I put my phone on airplane mode. <laughs> so I don't get calls. I don't get texts. I just don't want to talk to anybody. Sure. My iTunes works and that's all I need in my podcast app. I don't want people getting a hold of me. Now it could be just as simple as that with Koberger. You know? So I mean something something to think about. Like, like I don't, I don't think that's a big deal that he's driving around with his phone on. on no, I, I don't think, I don't think it is either. But in, in the way I look at it, in the context I kind of look at it in, is the state saying to Koberger's Koberger and his defense counsel, "Look, we got your client r- driving around per these cell phone pings at these hours of the morning, right?" And whether or not he was driving, I mean, I agree with you about you know I like to drive too, so I agree with you, Ron, about you know wanting to go drive and turn in airplane mode so you don't get interrupted. Right. I, I'm into the same relaxation principles as you got there, Ron. <laughs> but what I'm saying is whether or not he was doing that or not is irrelevant, though, really, if you look at it. Right. What his attorney is well, saying. Well, is, that's my point. It yeah, is irrelevant. It is, his, yeah. Whether his phone's on airplane motors is, is freaking totally irrelevant to. No, to oh, that's irrelevant, too. Yeah. But what I'm what I'm yeah. saying is it's relevant whether or not he was driving or not. Right. What, what his defense yeah. counsel basically said is, so what? You got my client driving around in the early morning hours with his phone off. So what, you know, that's, yeah. that's their response. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's a great response because they're not, they're not providing any more information to the prosecution to twist or bend or, or your shape and whatever narrative they want to against Koberger. She's answering what they presented thus far. Again, they presented nothing. They're, they're holding back all this discovery. So she's countering what she's been forced to counter so far. And that's very limited information, which includes, Cell phone tower pings, basically. Yeah, you know what really bothers me about this? If they're going to be playing this lawfare uh, and holding back discovery, they're just postponing. They're just postponing uh, the trial. They're postponing anything for the defense, and that to me is a violation of Koberger's rights to speedy trial. Oh, and, absolutely. And what they should do, honestly, right? Just let the guy bail, bail him out. Right. Do, do even if it's a million dollars, I'm sure you know they can come up with the ten percent of that's a hundred grand. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? His, 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 his parents can put their house up. Yeah, yeah. To get the kid out. If he was my kid, I would do that in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even think twice about it. Yeah. I mean, it kind of yeah. makes you wonder why, you know, they're going to keep prolonging this, you know, are they going to keep him in jail pre-trial for 18 months? Cause again, this is going to be a long time. This is, this is not getting resolved. I mean, just comparatively speaking, look at the Chad Daybell case out of Idaho, right? That thing is what two plus years in the making, right? Yeah. I mean, this is this is going to be on par with that, if not longer. Yeah, well, I, well, I understand. I understand that their, you know, their their motive is that it's a capital murder case, but, but I mean, even even still, right? But uh, what point in time are we going to accept as just the general public, you know, or people generally speaking, that people get charged for capital murder cases without any evidence produced in which to substantiate the claim that this person is even involved, let alone at the yeah. actual perpetrator of the murder? Because that's really, if you boil it down, that's what's going on here with Coburger right now. They want to keep the man in jail while providing no evidence to substantiate these charges which they've indicted them for right the the public arraignment hearing that should have occurred that at bare minimum you would expect the 911 call to be released at the public arraignment hearing right let alone some of these witnesses that were apparently testifying to incriminate him would have also had to testify at the public arraignment hearing so the moment they threw on that grand jury i i find it very the, the chronological order of events very very suspect because Koberger's counsel gets a subpoena for Bethany Funk, the surviving roommate slash not an eyewitness according to the state, but according to Cobra's counsel is an eyewitness and can provide exculpatory evidence is what they're insinuating with, with the subpoena of Bethany Funk. So that occurs days later, two or three days later, I believe it was the state then says, Oh, surprise. We did a grand jury indictment. So that public arraignment here, here in about 10 days, that's canceled. And Coburg is now indicted for for these four homicides. So yeah, I think there's know, a, there's a causal chain of events. Is what I'm getting at there, right? So Coburg's counsel is getting closer to what's going on here. They get a, they get the court to actually issue a subpoena for Bethany Funk, and then like that, Coburg is indicted. Everything's under a layer of confidentiality, and the public arraignment hearing is gone. And this this, this fight for discovery is continuing for months later. You know, there was an interesting paragraph in the email that NY had received. I just kind of wanted to go over that real quick. No, I'd love to hear more about this, whatever, whatever, whatever yeah. you'd like to share. I'm actually really curious about some of these conclusions and, and yeah. the parties. Well, well, it's just interesting here because the person that had emailed NY, I mean, it's a very interesting, like a lot of interesting information in here, right? But it says, do you remember Ann Taylor, which is uh, Kohlberger's attorney, said a few months ago that Brian Kohlberger was chosen for this job long before he came to town. So, so this job that he had at the university, he must have, you know, applied or whatever was accepted to, to do that or whatever, like, like, and then he actually had to move there to take this position. Sure. Right. And it says, we've been told he was an informant working for a task force. And in parentheses says, which is corrupt working to bust the drug trafficking ring run by outsiders at the house, which suggests that if this house was used as a, as a, as a drug house, that these people and possibly the kids that were staying there, if they were trafficking in drugs, which we're not accusing them of doing, it's just, this is a story and some rumors that are going around were deemed outsiders. So they, they would have made themselves a target for the people that were actually, you know, basically comes down to a turf war. Like, oh no, we're in charge of dealing the drugs around here. So these people coming into this house, 
and setting up setting up a drug trafficking operation deemed as outsiders may have made them a uh, target, right, for this. And what's interesting here is that the outsiders include Brent K. We've talked about him before. Yep. Demetrius R., Emma B., Quinn K., and even little DM herself. Some people said he was working for the FBI. Now, I'm assuming in this email they're referring to Koberger, that Koberger may have been working for the FBI. Uh, sounds like it. Right, yeah. yeah. An informant for the military said BK was actually working for Don Esty. Let's let's just pause right there for a second. Look over the... No, I was saying let, those names you just read off. I think that's that you know it's kind of important to go over who those people are just for context. So Emma and Demetrius were the folks that they had charges dropped, but they were initially charged with the drug overdose death of that fraternity right. president back right. in March. Yeah, yeah, and. and Quinn, and, and, Quinn is DM's boyfriend. Is uh, Dylan Morrison's boyfriend? He lives. He's out of Boise. He looks. I mean, from my assessment of the man's activities and social media profiles, he looks like a hood. So him being involved in drug activity would not be a shocker to me. Well, what was interesting here is said that uh, BK Brian Koberger was actually working for Dan Esty, who was an informant for DHS but also allegedly involved in all of this trafficking. So Don S Dan Esty was somebody that we spoke about pre-show. Yeah. Yeah, I had some uh, on him, yeah. 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 That maybe we can get into uh, in a little bit here, but sure. I just thought that that was interesting because they have all these other people brought into the, brought into the fray as outsiders that were involved in drug trafficking right now, as you had said before, the uh, two of these people, were uh, initially charged with the death, the overdose death of this other gentleman, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. Like prior to this, but Mar March of 2023, which was happened, it occurred at an in another interesting kind of focal point in this in this case. With the with the pill stamping operation that we talked no, about. No, well, Mar well, March was just when the state's case started to fall apart when this discovery battle began, and that happened really at the same week. That's when they that's when they initially initially tried to subpoena Bethany Funk in the discovery battle and this overdose death all occurred within like three days of each other at the end of March. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was interesting uh, because they're saying that Demetrius and Emma uh, were very vocal, like giving a lot of information. And this is another reason why the charges were dropped against them. So, so, so I mean, to me, that would imply it's that certainly, it's certainly possible. Became, yeah. Uh, some form of informants also. Yeah, I mean that's no, that's certainly plausible, Ron. That's some good points for sure. Now, I mean, I, I've seen some of these claims, and again, I think that there are some plausible scenarios being presented there. I don't know they're valid or not, because again, I don't know. It's really, it really is a question mark how Brent Kopaka, because he does seem to, just given the you know the other elements of the of the situation we've already discussed, he does seem to fit into this whole equation somehow. And again, at the end of the day, why is a thirty-six-year-old man living on Washington State University campus? Who gave him campus housing and why, right? You, you know, one thing I just wanted to clarify, when they say BK was actually working for Dan Esty, I'm wondering if they're talking about Brent Kopecka, Brent Kopecka. and not Brian. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, just, yeah. Wanted, just wanted to clarify that. In Co, you never know. Coburger could be some sort of informant. You never really know. There is, a, there is, I mean, one thing we can tell right now, the three of us or anyone, any folks of the interwebs listening, 
there is a large scale amount of federal activity that's been going on in that area for some time, preceding the deaths and in the, in the, in the associated with the investigation after the deaths. The FBI is way too involved in this case. They're the ones pushing, pulling the strings at every kind of, you know, important aspect of this case from the identity of the white vehicle Hyundai Elantra via the video surveillance, the alleged video surveillance. They're the ones who allegedly found the DNA on the knife sheath, the alleged knife sheath. <laughs> they're the, the FBI is also the ones who apparently built this family tree that, that no one's that the state of Idaho is now saying this is their argument. They're saying that we don't have to provide any of that DNA evidence and discovery because the FBI is the one who did it. And we're not the FBI, so we don't have access to the information. That's not how discovery or investigations work. So that it's a weird argument they continue to make, but they continue to make that argument. Wow. Right. And the other thing is, too, if you want to bring in the FBI into it and, and other uh, types of task force, that they had stated that there was a parallel crimes investigation, meaning multiple agencies investigating multiple crimes. Right. They didn't, nobody, nobody mentioned anything about that before. Nobody said anything about the FBI being involved yeah. in this, DHS being involved no. in this, uh, anything like that. Just local PD, right, or state police was involved in this investigation. Now, why are they saying or implying that there was a parallel crimes investigation even prior to the murders based on what was going on at this particular no, location? I see what you're saying, and yeah, the the most most of the FBI agents, the Moscow PD, reported as being involved in their investigation, were actually in a call center in West Virginia, right? Because it was part of that tip line. But there, yeah, I see what you're saying about these parallel investigations. It really makes you wonder. And I'll throw another factor in there in that equation to consider. On or about December fifteenth, five or six, I believe, six or seven federal law enforcement officers came to the eleven twenty two King Street home late one evening and it was caught by I believe news nation as these folks were entering and exiting the property. They were in there for, I believe about 20, 30 minutes walking around the house, turning different lights on, going different rooms. Right. You can see that from the outside of the home, but was often described as these, these men being FBI agents. These were not FBI agents. I've worked with FBI in the past. I've worked with us more. So I've worked with us marshals in the past and these were definitely us marshals. These federal agents that came in there. So if, if, because FBI, they, they all wear suits. They all look very boring and very they dress very bland. The uh, the U.S. Marshals are a bunch of cowboys. You know, they're gonna. One, in fact, one of these guys was wearing a cowboy hat that came into the home. You know, they're all they're none of them are dressed uniformly. The FBI is always dressed uniformly. The, these guys were all dressed differently, right? So these were clearly U.S. Marshals, from my assessment. And, and what's interesting? Wonder, well, hold on, JJ. Wonder, sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. One thing to say too is that U.S. Marshals have a different different job. Right, yep, U.S. Marshals, yeah, U.S. Marshals are kind of the guys that say you turn informant, state's evidence, government evidence, uh, uh, informant, or whatever, right, even if you're confidential, and you decide you're going to skip, like, okay, I'm out of here. Like, the U.S. Marshals are the guys they send to go find you. Oh, big right. time. They're also the ones who won't run WITSEC. Like, as you said, so the whole the general program of being a witness or something like that, they're or, you know, in sort of uh, witness security programs, that's their responsibility. They're the ones who do that stuff. Right, but wouldn't that imply that there was people involved that were informants working for the government? Uh, informants or possibly their family members were informants, which I think we were going to discuss relative to some of these parents that are involved. Oh, in yeah. Oh, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if sure. your parent is involved in some sort of informant business and you have a, 
you know, a college student, you know, they, may, they may be involved in that same sort of same sort of process, right? I mean, not necessarily. It's not automatic or mandatory, but it's very likely, especially if it's a daughter, right? Mm-hmm. For as far as security purposes go, and I think so. I think these guys coming into the scene, kind of, you know, a month after the murder. So I think that's an intriguing aspect as well, because maybe they were trying to do some things behind the scene, but then they finally had to get involved, and they weren't really wanting to. It also speaks to these parallel investigations, because the U.S. Marshals report to the U.S marshal for that district so each district of the each state's like two different districts and the u.s marshals the u.s marshal they have a u.s marshal in charge of one district and the other district for the state and they they directly work with the u.s attorney for the state so they have a different hierarchy and communications and mm-hmm. orders being issued level as opposed to some of the other federal agencies go again the, they are very much operate like cowboys they could very well be involved in investigating other federal agencies yeah, the thing is, if you're out on bail, too, and you decide you're going to skip, that's who they send after you, the U.S. Marshals. Yeah, so they, yeah. they have a wide scope, a very wide scope. Yeah, oh, activities, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. Just interesting if there was, uh, you know, information that saying that U.S. Marshals were actually at this location on or around December 15th, which is approximately a month after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, and I'll, I'll uh, provide Nick a, a link to the video I'm referring to from the news reporter who tries to stop these men coming out of the house and ask them questions. And, you know, they're covering up their faces. They're running around to the vehicle. I mean, again, these are not FBI agents. These are absolutely, in my opinion, U.S. Marshals. Again, I have a, more, most of my experience working with other, other federal law enforcement agencies from the Air Force was with the U.S. Marshals. So I have a good, a good, good amount of time spotting these guys and uh, yeah. that, them or the Secret Service. But these guys are definitely followed in the appearances of, of looking like the U.S. Marshals. Yeah. And again, there could be a litany of different activities that could be involved with this case. But seemingly folks, folks jumping bail or witness security per- folks, those are the two primary aspects. And again, drug informants, These all of these things could be playing, could be factors playing in here in this case. Yeah, neither Secret Service or FBI agents dressed like their Texas Rangers. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. What a, what very a, stiff, very stiff crowd. <laughs> One a, time I stumbled into an FBI convention in Bismarck, North Dakota at a Holiday Inn. I got snowed in there traveling across the U.S. And, uh, I, you know, Holiday Inn, it's right there off the highway. It's the biggest hotel in town. It's Bismarck, North Dakota, you know. And so I go in there thinking, I'll just get a room here. I, I mean, I booked it online. And then I walk in the place. There's literally an FBI convention. It's not eight o'clock at night. 300 FBI agents still in their suits, you know, relaxing and celebrating, you know, at the convention, you know, d- drink hour or whatnot. You know, it's just a very stiff crowd. They're never really, you know, they're always uniform in their activity and their dress and stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not very warm and welcoming. No. <laughs> <laughs> One of, you know, going back to the FBI, uh, I think that's, you know, something that's happened since uh, the last time we spoke, or, or I could be wrong. Maybe it's just something I've come across since then. Um, when they uh, they did have someone in court, JJ, if you know what I'm talking about, you'll probably know her exact job. I, I can't remember who she was, but there was somebody that they spoke to in court about the DNA. And they oh, yeah, spoke the to about witness. how they actually kind of like, she, in my opinion, was basically telling you that there's kind of like a, I guess, a glitch in the site that allows you to see things that you're actually not supposed to. And yeah, right after that, right. the FBI showed up at her house. <laughs> right. Shocker. <laughs> that story gets even creepier just beyond the mere instance of the FBI visiting your house. But you're a, that's a good point. The lawyer's brought, pulling that up, too, is bringing that up. They're like, you know, we have this person here. 
on the stand, and then the FBI goes into their house the next day? Like, that's not yeah. like witness harassment? Exactly, yeah. And the prosecution's argument was ridiculous. The prosecution said, and this is where I think they're dancing around some words and verbiage. The, the Latah County prosecutor argued, well, we were told that she sent email communications to third parties recanting her testimony. What are you talking about? So you mean to imply that within 24 hours of her testimony that she sent an email and a gag ordered case to some one of her other professionals within her community, that professional disliked what she said in, in this whole, you know, recanting her, her sworn testimony later via email. And then that third party then sends the email to the FBI or to Latal County Sheriff or prosecutor's office. And then Latal County prosecutor's office calls the FBI and the FBI goes over there. This all occurred within 24 hours. I don't think so. What I do think occurred there is the FBI is monitoring that lady's communications Uh and whether or not she wrote any email or not is, is not been proven by anybody. But what I do know is they, they seem to be monitoring her communications. It seems. And maybe even she just said she didn't like something about the prosecution that day in the court. Right. Maybe she sent an email to one of her colleagues saying these guys are clueless. Right. And then the FBI was like, Oh, we'll just make up a story that she's recanted her testimony. And then that'll, you know, we'll go intimidate her so that she does recant her testimony. Right. Mm. Yeah, there was even other stuff that happened in court recently that I, I wanted to touch on that I think has happened between the last episode. Um, one, I, it might have actually have been known, but I, I didn't know. And I'll bring this one up first because I think it's a little bit more uh, less less time consuming to talk about. Um, I know like some people uh, don't really think the DNA, the, you know, when we've had negative comments, which was very few on the episode, a lot of the people seem to be picking at us bringing up the DNA. And I'm still going to bring it up again. Um, so, I mean, oh it's well. an ongoing saga. But, so, I mean. you know, I was watching something. I, you know, I, I have a cracked fire stick. So, I, like, I just typed, I talked in something to try to find stuff in the Idaho 4. And I don't know what this was from. It pulled up something and I played it. Now, I'm guessing every time it showed the news covering the Idaho 4, it was always CNN. So, I'm guessing maybe this was actually a show on CNN. I, I don't know. It's a cracked fire stick. So, I'm, I'm <laughs> watching it and they mentioned now i don't know again this is cnn so who knows so this is where you have to question the news itself but they're like speaking as if they know already know certain things now i don't know if it's known but they were saying the dna matched brian Koberger's father 99 point something percent and i'm like well then why the hell are you even looking at him if it's that much of the father well no it it, what what you're saying and what 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 they've been reporting is yeah the genetic genealogy testing indicated that the suspect's DNA on the button of the alleged suspect's DNA of the alleged knife sheath on the alleged button. (laughs) It was the 99.9% chance of being the son of the DNA sample that was retrieved from Koberger's parents trash can, notably on private property without a search warrant. And for, again, as we've already established in this conversation today, for no purpose whatsoever did they have any reason to even focus on Koberger at that point in time. Yeah, and well, yeah, they seem to make it sound like it's that glitch in that database that they're using that might have actually made that happen too. I don't know. Why, what I think is, and why, and why Koberger's counsel is focusing on those technical aspects is because it goes back to, again, they're, they're counteracting whatever the states produce, and the states produce nothing, right? The states yeah. produce statements, and they're pointing out, poking holes in those statements right now with these expert witnesses saying, even the way the state's explaining this is bunk. 
Yeah, well, and that goes even into the second thing that has to do with DNA. They're asking, where's the other, the other, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what you would call them, uh, the other thing, samples of DNA that you right, said you could like, Yeah, where's the other, no, but where's the other ones, the other male DNA you said oh, you collected at the yeah. site? Yeah, the three, the yeah. three male DNA. Yeah. Wait, what, what, what's, what's up with that? Yeah, yeah no, what's up yeah. with that? Where's your, where's your yeah. stuff on that? Yeah, I call that I call that elimination DNA uh, because that eliminates other people as suspects, right? So I, I think that uh, I don't think that the DNA is admissible. I, I really don't. I, I just <laughs> it's I, hard I, to I, believe it would be. <laughs> yeah, I, but what I'm saying, another reason why they're probably holding back with discovery because if all they have is this this contact DNA if that's all they have, and then they look at how they retrieve this DNA without a warrant out of a trash can exactly. that was on private property. Exactly. This to me, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that would be inadmissible because this is evidence that was not retrieved legally. And I mean, they have to be held accountable for some things when they're gathering evidence. No, and, that's a great and, point. And this, is, and this is in the... Discovery has to be. Yeah. So any court would say, yeah, well, you know, we can, you know, you can manipulate DNA. Yeah, I got it from this person and that. And oh, it fits in this database. Oh, genetically, it could be Koberg's because, you know, we got the match with his dad's DNA. Okay, how did you get to DNA? Did you have a warrant to get to DNA? Well, no, we just went and took it. Yep. What, no, do you, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? I'm starting to kind of question whether the judge is actually on the ball on this deal. What do you mean? Well, be, if he's on the take, right? You know yeah. I mean? I, oh. Well, what I'm saying is, this judge is, is this is this judge doing their job? I mean, because they 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 would they should go to the prosecution and say, okay, listen, stop messing around. Let's do the discovery, and there should be some questions based on the. Uh, the the acquiring of this DNA and whether or not this was lawful or not. No, and you're spot on, Ron. And that's where the prosecution. I think you're. I think you're 100 correct in your assessment too, because that's what the prosecution's at right now. They're saying we're not going to use any of that evidence. So if they say they're not going to use any of that evidence to prosecute Koberger, which has been their argument since March, and they continue to repeat throughout all these different motions for discovery, they're saying, well, we're not going to use that, so they can't have it. Right. And that is true. If they're not going to use the evidence in the prosecution of, of Coburger, then they're not requ- the state's not required to, to divulge that in discovery. And their argument also now is we swabbed Coburger's uh, the inside of his mouth, did a cheek swab, and he matches the DNA from the knife sheath. Right. That's their new story. Right. But again, it goes back to how you can't, the, the defense can't vet any of that unless they can get any of the evidence of the DNA research and, and testing that's already been done to, to get to that point. And the state's saying, no, 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 we're not going to use that. We have this new DNA, right? You see what I'm saying? See that, see the, the parlor uh, trick being involved here, right? Okay. So what you're saying is now they're saying they're not going to use the DNA that they found in the trash can. Exactly. So they don't they have, have a new to give any of that Cobra. information. They don't have to give any of that information right. in discovery, but it was that DNA that they used as evidence to arrest Koberger, not the DNA right. evidence on if, okay, let's go back to the <laughs> alleged knife sheath. No, no, that's exactly, that's Koberger's okay. defense's argument right there where you just okay. said. Okay, you, so, had to, you had to use the other DNA evidence to get to the second DNA evidence. But now you swallow. say you're not going to use it. Right, 
Okay, well, that still goes back to if you get stopped for a freaking taillight out and they end up giving you uh, a DWI test and they charge you with DWI, but you never got a ticket for the taillight. Sure. My buddy got off of a DWI that way. Yeah, no probable cause. Because, yeah. yeah, because, okay, so your probable cause to stop this vehicle was right. the taillight was out. Yep. Then we find out that you're a possible drunk driver. We, we you know, test you, you do the breathalyzer, whatever, you, you're you drunk. So we're going to charge you with DWI. Oh, but we didn't give you a ticket for the taillight or even a D, what we call a DE tag, defective equipment tag. Sure. We didn't do any of that. And so the judge was like, uh, okay, so you stopped them. You, you didn't have probable cause to stop them because they were swerving or driving erratic. You just had probable cause to stop them because it was for a traffic stop because they had taillight out. Right. But then you end up charging them with DWI. Yeah. Case is out of here. Yeah. He actually walked on that. It's the same freaking scenario here because if they went and they took the DNA from his dad's trash can, it wasn't actual Brian Koberger himself's DNA, but it was his dad's DNA. And yes, they can use those to link the two. This is what they In theory, they can. In theory. In, In theory. So they can use this to say, okay, well, this is his, this is his DNA or whatever, but they still would have had have to have the knife sheath to even make that connection. (laughs) Because if the knife sheath doesn't exist, or if they have a knife sheath and it has a little bit of contact DNA on it, Initially, they didn't use Brian Koberger's DNA to to uh, to to tie him into this. They used his dad's DNA to tie him into it. And now they're not going to use that because after they got DNA from Koberger, assuming when he was in custody, right? right. Now they say, oh yeah, well no, now that definitely now this matches the knife sheath, so we don't have to use his dad's DNA when initially. They used his dad's DNA to get the arrest warrant. Right. When it's part yeah. of the same custody, chain of custody of evidence in the process yeah. of the investigation, they're just trying to cut it out and say, nah, we don't need that anymore. We got this over here. It's a parlor trick, and it's a gross violation of Koberger's rights. Yeah, yeah and like NY was saying, we were getting beat up in the chat or something before in the comments in the other episodes when we kept bringing up the DNA. Like, the DNA is the only frigging evidence they yeah. have. Yeah. 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 That's it's it. The, it's the only piece of evidence that even implies a nexus point where the of the suspect, the victim, and the crime scene, which and are this, all imperative, and especially in a capital murder case. And this is why we're making a big deal about the DNA. Yeah. So, so the people making these comments need to understand that without DNA connection to these crimes or alleged knife sheath that the <laughs> alleged murder weapon was allegedly in, right. that they didn't freaking find and say anything about them finding till after the fact. And when they said that the knife nope. sheath was found underneath a quilt on one of the beds, right? So this is why the DNA evidence is the number one hugest piece of evidence in this whole deal. Because if they don't have that, they got nothing on Brian Koberger. Because there's nothing else to pin him to be at that location. Yep. No, a hundred percent Ron. You're yeah. spot on target. And again, it's the same analysis applies as it did to the earlier investigations before 
from from November 29th to December 30th, the date Koberger was allegedly identified as a person of interest, and the date he was alleged he well the date he was arrested on December 30th. The way that law enforcement approached hit, hit investigating him versus the other suspects, right? He wasn't questioned. There was no DNA requested from him, whereas other persons of interest were questioned during that time, right? And they did have DNA samples. Right. So it, it, it's, it goes to that same correlation, right? The same compare and contrast, I'm sorry, uh, of those two scenarios. So you have Koberger, like what caused law enforcement to go invade Koberger's parents' trash can, right? There's no, there's no, there's no clear indicator yeah. of what, what you, they, again, they didn't stop him, right? Before he left town, they waited till he went out of town, right? And then they're going to go invade his trash can. But, but why, why would you do that? What caused you to focus on Koberger to say that we got to go get DNA out of this trash can to see if it matches this guy we should have questioned three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. It makes That's no sense. And then if you look at that compared to the, again, the way that they approached the other DNA evidence at the scene, right? Compare and contrast that versus the way they allegedly addressed Koberger's DNA or the alleged DNA at the scene. So they're going to focus on a tiny bit of touch DNA off of a, of a button of a snap of a, the alleged knife sheath, but they're going to completely ignore three other male DNA samples from in and around the bodies of in, in his home. Again, they didn't, they don't specify where the DNA samples were, were found but that, you know, that DNA evidence was found for these three unidentified males. They do say is it's around the victim's body. So what that implies is it's not on the first four, right? Cause the victim's bodies were on four, two and four, three of the home. So what that implies is they're finding this DNA evidence around the victim's bodies and they don't test it, but they do, they do focus hyper-focused on the small amount of DNA on this, this button. And then they decide, well, since we're hyper-focused on the, but the small amount of touch DNA sample on this knife sheath, we're going to go invade this family's trash can in pencil, the Pocono mountains of Pennsylvania from Idaho. Right. And th- thereby incorporating the FBI once again is deeply involved in that process. Cause you can't, sure. Pennsylvania authorities have no jurisdiction in the matter. They're, they're not enforcing this warrant from Idaho or anything. And there was no warrant. <laughs> so you have them invading a trash can to demand to basically to reach the preconceived conclusion is what I was, what I'm saying is they, the only reason to invade the trash can is because you want to make sure that you can pin it on Cobra. Why they're putting on cover, that's a different story altogether, but you're you're not you're ignoring three other male samples saying this is our one sample of our one assailant and he's the sole person who's responsible for these crimes. And as a result of that, we're gonna go invade this trash can, right? Instead of yeah. questioning him three weeks prior. Just not yeah, the DNA is the most important factor. You know? Yeah, so let's look at that process, JJ. All the, uh, okay, so DNA samples would have to be taken of every single one of those victims or people that were in the house, including the person that didn't die. Right. Sure. All them D de- all their DNA would have to be put into a file and tested. Right. Absolutely. And then they need to say if any of the other DNA that's tested inside this house was something other than those people. <laughs> well, it's, right. right. This is the, right. what I call the, the elimination, elimination, the elimination DNA. Yeah. yeah. So, no, you're, you're just spot on. That's for so, sure. so, so the same thing would, would have to be with these other people of interest. Yep. And they allegedly did. So they allegedly did take DNA samples from them after questioning them and asking them for a DNA sample. Meanwhile, they don't question Cobra after identifying him on November 29th. And then they let him go across the United States and then they go without a warrant, invade his parents' private property and seize 
the evidence unlawfully of this alleged DNA sample that was used to generate the family tree that was used to identify Koberger. Meanwhile, once again, ignoring those other samples of the three DNA, which allegedly they did compare these other male persons of interest that they took DNA samples of in the investigatory reports claim that they eliminated them against those three other samples. Right? So again, they are actually testing these samples against these three unknown male DNA samples and then still deciding, well, these samples are no longer important. Our suspects Coburg. It's just like the way the van shoe print was thrown out, thrown out the, out the door. Like, Oh, well, we couldn't find a van shoe in Coburg's apartment. So that, that's your, that evidence is no longer important. We'll just throw that away. It's yeah, the same or, deal, right? Okay. Or what, or was the size of this van shoe, the same size that Koberger weigh, uh, wears, right? I don't even, I mean, yeah. There's simple, no clear indicator that they even like, determined that. Like yeah. Elementary, right? Yeah. Like, like he could have been wearing vans. Right. But he could have also burnt them in a barrel after or put them in an incinerator. Right. I, I mean, I mean, if this is a, a size nine van footprint, and Which he wears a size, is. and he wears a size eleven. Exactly. Well, that yeah. kind of that kind of freaking eliminates the whole van <laughs> blood. Footprint. No, he's, he's and, cramming his giant feet into a tiny yeah, shoe. Yeah, yeah. I just hate to, only I, one footprint. One I hate footprint. to keep pounding back on the DNA, but I can't help it. Yeah. No, 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 it's quite all right. No. Okay. So when they did the samples of the other three people of interest, what were they using to compare it or match it to? Are we talking about the same piece of contact DNA that was on the alleged button on the alleged knife sheath? Yeah, suppose it would have had to been. Yeah. It would have had to have been because yeah. they had no other blood DNA retrieved at the murder scene. And if they did, Nobody's talking about it and nobody knows about it. No, I mean, that's a good point. So according to the official record, it seems that there's four DNA samples on the scene. Three still to this date unknown male DNA samples that according to their own reports and filings from the state seems to indicate that these are three separate DNA samples of three separate unknown males still still to this day. Now they okay, had- so JJ, hold on. So three separate samples of DNA from unknown people, but... Not the three people that were person of interest. We're talking right. about two different was, batches of three people. Why? Well, yeah, let me, let me correct okay. that. I think it was actually closer to five people in the persons of interest, I believe. I think it was four that willingly gave their DNA and one that didn't. It was not, it was three that willingly gave it and one that didn't. The one that didn't, the DNA sample was achieved by following that individual and uh, obtaining a, a used cigarette butt that he threw away in a public trash can. Okay, yeah, that's right. Again, they focus on that. pointing out it was a public trash can in the documents, yeah. which, again, is, is a I weird correlation between that and the uh, unlawful seizure of the trash DNA. Okay, okay so my Gilgo question Beach. is, though, oh, I'm sorry, NY, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, actually, if you don't mind, after this, I do want to move on to something else. But no, I was just saying that reminds me of Gogo Beach public trash can that the DNA was found. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so, so just one more thing on DNA, then I'll let it go. For, for oh, now. no, that's fine. I mean, uh, so they found DNA from three unknown people in the house. That's the story. Yes. Okay. Not the other people that were pers- persons of interest. I just that's I just want to make that distinction. Right? No, you're correct. That is a good distinction. Yeah. So they okay. took the persons of interest, compared it to the three unknowns and the knife sheath DNA. So the four total samples apparently, and none of the persons of interest matched any of those samples. Right. So okay. again. Okay. So my question is. Yeah. What was the 
a substrate of the DNA samples that were found in the house? Uh, good question. Was good question it blood? <laughs> was it hair? Because if it's blood, that would be an indication of these unknown people may have injured themselves during the exactly. murders. Exactly. If it's if it's nothing more than hair, that could have been on the floor, in a rug, on a counter, in the bathroom, on the toilet, pubic hair on the toilet, right? Think yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. Or in a sink, yeah. right? If it's just Shower. hair, well, it could be any, it could belong Shower. to anybody that came and went from this house. If there were partying there, we know it was a party house. It could have been people partying there, people hanging out there. People just go in there. Well, see, to, that's you know, another thing, honestly. I find it hard to believe that, like, I mean, there should have been a shit ton of DNA actually all over that house. Yes, that's my oh, point. Oh, there should be no shortage of it, yeah. yeah. I mean, including uh, fingerprints, and there's no talk of fingerprints in this case. I mean, what's that about, right? But I'm saying if the DNA that they found in the house that belongs to three unknown individuals is hair or something like that, okay, I can buy that. Yeah. I yeah, can yeah. be on board with that. But if this DNA is, is arrived from blood samples... Well, these blood samples, this DNA that's from blood samples, that could be your actual assailant. No, absolutely. And, no, and, if, I, the, and if this DNA doesn't match Koberger, then that eliminates him from it. Absolutely, Ron. I think you're spot on. And I think that's yeah. the biggest takeaway from the three unknown male DNA samples is that the, the, the Ron state just is dropped ignored. the hammer. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, that's spot on. That's, and I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from the DNA. I never would have thought about that. People yeah, that, that speak to the likely scenario that they're the perpetrators, right? Okay, so if this DNA, if this DNA that would have been inadmissible because it was his dad's or whatever, now they got this other DNA from Koberger. Like that knife sheath better be in discovery. That knife sheath better be in evidence. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be again until they produce these things. I don't believe they exist. You know? Well, you know what? Show five, six, and seven is going to be based on whatever discovery comes out. So hopefully they come out with that shit pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully for, this, for the sake of justice in this case and the and the sake of quit abusing Coburger's rights. I mean, hopefully, yeah, if we, you're going to charge him with capital murder, you ha you show him the evidence. I mean, it's not it's not a complicated process. Yeah, it's a very well established process. This is not yeah. new, the, this is new the defense should have had discovery. A long time ago, because of discovery is the contents of the evidence you have to present in your case. If they had enough evidence to get a warrant to arrest Koberger, and, and let's not even talk about grand jury because we already been over this. We beat right. that with a dead horse. Doesn't take anything to get indicted by yeah, a grand that horse jury. Is dead already, How, so. However, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so, but what I'm saying is the evidence that they had, boy, they better have something really good in discovery. And as soon as we find out what is in discovery, I am going to have a heyday with it. Just a heads up for the listeners. Really? Nice. I mean, to be totally honest with you, the only way I think my opinion will change is is, is if somehow uh, the prosecutor just pull out some, you know, actual real shit. Like, I, I can't even see what it is. Like, like going to court. Like, what? It, like I can't imagine what this is going to look like when it happens. You would have to show me a video of Brian Coburn. Yeah, you'd have not, to be not like... That I want to see the graphic nature of it, but like immediately following the murder. You got to start dropping the, evidence the murder that's... weapon saying, I'm Brian Koberger. I just murdered these people. Okay. Have that all in video. You got to like start dropping evidence that was like, hush, hush. You know? Okay, so, so let me tell you. I said this on Wicked Planet the other night when we were talking about this 
freaking Mexican aliens, right? Oh, nice. And I got this from from a Dave Chappelle episode, right? I will believe it when this there's a picture of me holding. Well, I didn't say this on Wicked Planet, but holding my ID so everybody can see it's me. My buddy over here filming it, and another friend over here taking notes. Right. Okay, then I'll believe it. I'm telling you right now, this case is going to go nowhere. And I don't understand what the holdup is other than it screams of massive cover-up. Yeah, no, it does for sure. Yeah, and again, yeah. I think the FBI's deep involvement, the one they're the ones at each important pivotal point in this this case and investigation, they're the ones generating the activity there, again, be it the, the videos, the DNA evidence, et cetera. They're the ones always there doing these things. I think, again, that speaks to the greater implications of a parapolitical nature. There, yeah, it, it, external it, forces imposing themselves on this on this case. And Grace just said something very simple in the chat, right? Oh, I missed it. What was it? We need a video of him walking in the house. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like they're gonna insane. need to drop some shit like yeah. that for me to be like, yeah. all right, damn, okay. Yeah. Shit. yeah there should be there should be no shortage of video footage. Oh my God! This whole area is under town. surveillance, JJ. This whole yeah. area is under surveillance. Yeah. Yeah, and they're right off campus, and campus most certainly has cameras pointing outside of their property towards that roadway that that is immediately in front of this home. Yeah. There's just no shortage of, of video surveillance outside the private homes of all these landlords and stuff, or even the college students. They have ring doorbell cameras. They had the little doorbell cameras hanging outside their front door. Okay. You know, from from the from the outlet, from, they usually have a light bulb in. Yeah, so JJ, I, I I just want to apologize for getting fired up. Uh, it took me it took me an hour and fifteen minutes to get fired up. But but okay, who do you know that does not have cameras nowadays? Exactly. Nobody. Yeah, for Twelve bucks on Amazon. Very yeah, very convenient. I have so very many convenient. cameras at my house. I'm afraid to do anything. <laughs> you got yourself under so much surveillance. Actually, well, you they, know, you know, they, the, the stuff that I have to go into actually, I think, can even show why there's no footage. I think of anything going around in that area. I like so. It. I, I think right, I think that does. Even, I mean, I'm not trying to cut you off. I'm just saying. No, I even that good, will explain some of that. I do segue. think. I do think. I was gonna say NY. Let's get into that. All right. Uh, first off, I mean, I I guess like it was perfect how you even said a cover up, and I know again that's even an, another thing like. It's so funny. People may think that there's something wrong with this case, but if it's a cover-up for the the police are covering something up, that they can't buy. I, I don't know how how would you even make sense of the case then if the cops are in, <laughs> whatever. So, right. but um, I, I 81, 81 million people voted for Biden. Just use that that's as an right, example. That's true. But so I do think there 41, is forty one million may or may not exist. I yeah. do I do think something like that is going on, and I I do before I even bring up this stuff that I want to show, I do want to give at least a shout out to um, some of these channels that I did get some of this information from, and I did go a little bit farther with it, which I actually think makes their stuff even seem more weirder. Like it's definitely oh, nice. like, but I want to give a shout out to uh, I think Drip Drop, True Crime Design, uh, and Truth and Transparency because I think. Both of those two that I just mentioned previously have used her work as well. So um, it's kind of like a mishmash of other people's work that I'm putting together. But sure. um, this one I did find really interesting. And this makes me start to question like the whole thing with a, a cover up as well. Now, this is the disaster. They did have a disaster response crime scene come in. 
And the reason why this really got my attention, and this is for listeners who may not have listened to my other stuff, maybe just into true crime, but I have delved into uh, secret societies, the Masons, I've dived into the Shriners, the Jesters, uh, the Loyal Order, the Moose, and like we've done deep dives on like companies that are attached to properties that they're attached to. And we've, I've actually come across a crime scene company that was associated with the Moose Lodge. So I found that weird. So when I saw somebody presenting this, I just instantly thought back to that, kind of. Sure. So that just, it, you know, this caught my attention because of this. So I saw this, and, um, you know, the, here's, here's the guy, Bu Value, which is kind of a weird name. I would almost even suggest they may not even be his real name. That might be like the LLC company, and he's actually just throwing that up. And, you know, there's funny ways to play around with shit like that. Uh, but it has Bu Value. And that is him of the disaster response team. And then it even shows here the registering agent is view value at, I found this interesting for occultism, 88 Elk Haven. 88 would also go back to HH. And 8 is kind of like toth symbolism. I'm not going to get all into that. <laughs> you know, it'll take too long. But then, uh, and then the principal address is 13888. So I'm going to punch eights with that again. State Highway 55. Now, that's going to be the more important address, really, at the end. That's very weird. Um, so that's the principal address, and that is the mailing address of Disaster Response LLC, who is at the Disaster Response for the Idaho 4. Uh, so then you also see that Buell Value has a couple of other things. There AMV LLC at the same address. There's two of those. Then there's a Buell Value. I think that's BS or BB LLC. That's at the same address. Um, Class 5 Adventures. That is at the same address. Um, the Disaster Response. That's already there. Um, he's got a bunch of companies. He's got a whole bunch. Um, I'm not saying all of these are him. I will say I think most of the ones that are in Idaho probably are. And there are a lot of them on here that I'm showing on the screen that are still matching, like V5 Investments. That's another one that's on this list. Same address. You know, some of these, of these are active still, right? If not all of them, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of companies, at least that have been at this address at some point. And he has a, a whole bunch of other addresses. And again, this is things that I have seen when I have delved into the Moose Lodge, the Shriners, the Jesters, you will start seeing people with multiple LLCs at the same address. And I do think it, it's possibly money laundering. With this, I'm not exactly sure, but we'll just keep going. Well, is, but that, if I may make a point real quick, Nick, that is exactly what the Bidens are being accused of right now from the congressional investigations yeah. out, out of the uh, yeah. uh, the Republican House there. They've they're been conducting numerous investigations asserting that that's exactly what the Biden's been doing, opening up dozens of LLCs in which to to hide money from the IRS and funnel, yep. do, you know, conduct money laundering. That's, I was like, oh, it's like the stuff that me and Lux were looking at is like the same thing that the president's getting. It definitely is a common tactic. It definitely yeah. is a common tactic. It needs to be as convoluted as possible. Uh, because it sucks up a lot of investigatory time. There you go. It that's makes it expensive doing for. research. Yeah. That's very that's yeah. very true, Ron. Yeah. I never think of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Good now, point, yeah. so now I just take the address that that disaster release uh, res whatever response company is on. I take the address and run that through Bizipedia. You are getting Osborne's Cleaning and Restoration, Donnelly Main Street Plaza, uh, Plaza proper. Uh, 
property, V5 investments, you get the disaster results. Class uh, V, uh, Class 5 Adventures. You know, a lot of those companies that I was just mentioning before by Buell Value, they're registered to that property. And he's the registered agent on most of those as well. Yes. Yeah, now, that's, important. that's an important detail. Here's the property that all these companies are on. <laughs> it, even, it even says on home facts, property type, vacant. There is nothing there. There's supposedly mail going there for these companies. Where's the mailbox? Yeah, I can't. yeah it's great. I mean, it, who who, uh, who registers that many, one business, let alone that many businesses, to a vacant piece of property in the middle it, of nowhere? It looks like a nice office to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Go fishing. Oh, I got it. It's, it's underneath the water, Ron. We, we just can't see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you know what that is? You remember Cheech and Chong when they when they made the, uh, the I think their growing field look like a yeah. pool? That, that's what that is. Yeah, they must, they must exactly be under that, is. right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, come on. Uh, then real quick, this is just to, I'm not going to read this article. It's just, it mentions Dan Este and Scott Perky as like the co-owners of 1122 King Road. And they were just asking people to be hush hush, which is kind of a little weird to begin with, but whatever. Just well, wanted it is, to. It, I may interject. It, sure. is, it is weird when you look at these people's activity too, because they just oh. gave the house to the university as the story's told. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that just whole, whole thing, even with the house is shady as hell. Because I mean, the, the, the home, the property had value. I mean, if, if it's not going to be lived in again, it's going to be torn down. There's insurances, there's insurance, uh, you know, policies that may or may not cover, cover that kind of, that kind of uh, situation where they have to tear down the home because of a murder. You know, the, the, the university, if they're the ones so gung ho about tearing it down, you'd think, Maybe they're going to pay the private landowner some money in which to do that, but it seems that they just transferred it. They said, here you go. Well, you know, having four murders happening in a house would be a deal breaker for me if I was going to buy it. You know, I, I mean, unless it's like a house from the 1820s, it's like you got to expect that. I have to wait a bit for that. Yeah. But you, you know, good and well, Ron, the way the true crime community <laughs> operates, there'd be a line. There'd be an option. Oh, my God. You know, come to think of it, JJ. Yeah, you're yeah, right. You're probably you're right, right. right? right. Just yeah. buy it as a tourist attraction. I was going to say, and if you're the owner of that, I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know. A YouTuber, a YouTuber, true money, crime right? would have bought that already. Just just for the investment of the amount of yeah. money they could have made off of that. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, yeah. There, yeah, there is money to be made there from a capitalistic perspective, but at the end of the day, like, why would you just give it to the university? Just, you guys tear it down. You know, hey, you it, know, it doesn't they, make any sense. They tore down the complete apartment complex where Jeffrey Dahmer lived. That's... So. That's yeah. probably a good. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. The, 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 my concern is mainly also with the, tear, the destruction of this home is how they've been dead set on tearing it down since day one. For example, yeah. on yeah. December seventh, the same day that it was announced to the public that Moscow PD needed assistance locating the 2011 to 2013 White Hyundai Elantra, the same day that press release went out, again, mind you, they already again they already had Cobra identified according to their documents, but the same day that press release went out. Uh, James Fry, the police chief from Moscow PD, drove the U-Haul van himself over to that house to begin emptying out all the contents. So they've want the authorities of Idaho have wanted this house go- empty and gone for some time. So it's just I think it just seems like another uh, factor in like kind of the the weird activity going around with these landlords at Nick's point now. I'll tell you what I'll tell you what right now that house needs to stay intact and up until after this trial. Oh hell yeah! Because this would be something that and I know that to do this, they would take all the jurors 
to the scene of the crime. Oh, they did that with the Murdoch case. Yeah. yeah. So if they if they wanted to get rid of this house, that just means they're looking to get rid of more evidence. Because if I was a defense attorney, or or say worse, the prosecutor, I would say, okay, we're going to take all these jurors on a little field trip. We're going to take you to the scene of the crime, and we're going to show you this, and we're going to go step by step to each room and explain what we believe happened in these rooms. They, that would be the number one reason why they would not be able to tear this house down. Because in my opinion, this house is also evidence. No, oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely, Ron. Uh, and then here we have uh, one of the landlords, one of the two landlords. We have Scott S. Perky. I'm not going to read the, the whole thing, but it is up on the screen if people actually want to stop and read it or it's been up for a while. Um, he is a registered. He's registered. And this uh, does show uh, what, you know, he actually did. People want to read it. But I did find that weird. That's, you know, that one of them is a registered, uh, you know, person. How did these two fellows link up, by the way? This, right? Uh, I have no idea. Because one's out of Colorado. There might be, there might right? be a the story behind that. I have no idea, though. Yeah, that's something we can look into. And NY, I wanted to ask you if you could put links to these documents in the show notes, because I'd like yeah. to look at them later. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. And then uh, he's also had at, uh, the same guy, Scott Perky, he's also had at that house. And it's still the mailing address, which I think is what Truth and Kent, Truth and uh, Whatever I forgot however to say it. Truth and transparency. Uh, pot, uh, channel on uh, YouTube was talking about. You know, I think it's important to even point out this is like the mailing address too. So if this is an For actual, business, right. is this an actual legit running business? Why do you have your mail going to that house? I'm not going to yeah. trust these college kids to tell me. Oh yeah, you got mail here. Like, yeah, because no. it's not like it's, right. it's not like it's a PO box, right? Which would be <laughs> something that a lot of LLCs will use a PO box. These kids can't take their yeah. faces out of their phone. I'm gonna have like you know ten months worth of mail there before they even tell me. <laughs> well, what I can do is I, I'll I'll look at the uh, Idaho Secretary of State website and pull the actual documents here for this business to see what what it has been, like what has been going on with Small with the uh, yeah you know maybe there's been various address changes maybe maybe he originally had it you know registered to 1122 king and only recently put it back there maybe there's some other addresses yeah, maybe it's, it's actually, in between yeah that, that's a possibility um and then you have um dan este who's the other guy or however you say his name um he does have uh 1122 king llc and now i think he does own other houses around that property and then these houses do yeah. have the address King LLC in there. See, there's another address there, NY. What is it? 1118 King? Uh, that would indicate to me possibly another piece of property that would be in close proximity to this, yes. uh, the 1122, right? So uh, 1118, that would actually be like uh, two houses down. Yeah, then you have 1119, uh, 1126, I think that is, uh, 1127. And then he does have a couple of other companies, two or three other companies. But um, I think it was true crime design. They actually took the time to show you where the houses were, and it was practically surrounding that house. I was going to yeah. say, these are, this is all the same neighborhood. What I think occurred there was, if I remember correctly, looking at the property records, this fellow or preceding people that he purchased these properties from had taken the original parcel and divided it into numerous parcels and built numerous structures. So that's why you have this. Okay. That's also why you have the, the police confused on their body camera footage going to a home that has a King street address while it physically sits on 
on Queen because it was the backside of that parcel, that original parcel. So right, 1122 so King actually physically sits on Queen. You see what I'm saying? That yeah. road becoming the driveway is actually Queen, but the actual original uh, piece of property, the parcel, which all this was divided into, is on King. So, but that's what you see here is they so they divided into different parcels and build different homes on that original property, yeah. and yeah. they're each individually. These are individually registered as one business. However, he manages these things out of Colorado, out of one property management company. Yeah, and that, would, and that would make sense, JJ, that no, one, piece yeah. of, one piece of property would be bought and subdivided into building lots. Yeah, uh, these are a reasonable, there's a reasonable purpose for these LLCs yes, versus yes, the, yeah. the bow value LLCs, which seem extreme and, and without any property, actual yeah. office property. No, I agree. These actually have location. You can look up locations. You can look up the Colorado location of the property mm -hmm. management company. So while there may be other elements that seem funky here, these, to me, at least these LLCs seem, you know, semi-legit. Yeah. yeah, they seem to have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah, because a couple of Just these LLCs uh, address matches because you've got the two here from the two ninety-seven Cascadia Street, and then you got the uh, uh, you see we got we got three there, and then we got one that's eleven twenty Claremont Drive in Boulder. Uh, these other ones are in Crested Butte, Cal uh, Colorado. Right. That might be close to Boulder. Yeah, no, th this, I don't think, you know, I mean, it is odd to have a separate LLC for each single piece of property, but from from a business person's standpoint, I, I can see why that they did that. Yeah, because if you have something that happens at 1122 King, you don't want you don't want them someone of an incident there suing you and it affecting your property over 1126. It's, it's to separate all them yeah, all the them liability. separately for liability for sure. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, but but all the other ones that link back to that field, like that's a totally different situation. That is, <laughs> yeah. that is sketchy, like. For sure. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Ron. That was my point. You were pointing yeah. out these look sound like they have a purpose because but, the other ones yeah. don't. Again, what yeah. I like, I guess, with the playing the conspiracy side, that could also be a reason why you have no footage. Because if this guy is involved, whatever, like no, I'm starting point. to think possibly drugs. Again, with this situation, and that's if the great, people no, who own, point, if people who own the house work. are involved in it. There, yeah. He's involved with a whole lot of other houses around there, and there's no... Yeah, yeah. No, it's just I'm looking at it. If this person or the owner is actually involved with what was going on in that house, that's why I think this might actually tend to kind of because help they cover up the whole system, the whole thing. Right, but in the case of some type of civil, uh, civil forfeiture, uh, they would only be able to take that one piece of property versus... Yeah all of his properties. So that, that makes sense, which just also now, you know, that we say that this is kind of legit, but in, in another sense is what was the motive to separate all these, all these, uh, all these properties other than maybe protection, like you say, JJ liability, but it would also be to protect yourself in case of some form of, you know, mass arrest, Oh, we're going to seize all your properties that were involved in these drug transactions when a good lawyer could come back and say, well, no, you can seize the one that was involved. Exactly. But no, you have no right to seize all the other ones. That falls under that liability umbrella of liability that, yeah, that they're shielding themselves from by doing this. That's a good point. <laughs> and Nick, I, I agree with you. I think that's a good reason why we don't have security camera footage from the nearby properties that some of which are on that list that, he, that is owned by the same landlord. They clearly have cameras out in front of their home. I mean, they reference one of those cameras in the actual uh, arresting affidavit saying that 
whatever it is at four seventeen. There's a loud thump with, followed by a dog barking. That's right. Yes. There's yeah. So they, we know cameras exist. We know. Yeah, they said they said supposedly somebody was running away from the scene. Yeah. So that is a good point. If it's one landlord that is owning these properties, oh, they recorded some of this footage. He's going to be. The, it's not the tenants that, that make the decision in that environment. It's going to be the, the person who owns the property. Whether or not that 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 video footage is a going to police in the first place. Yeah, somebody in the chat just had a comment that uh, uh, Crested Butte is a long ways away from Boulder. Okay. So, yeah, just just FYI. And there may and there may be some more mysterious aspects of the registry of some of his businesses there. Oh, you know, if it, it, I think you know what, I'm just going to go back to it real quick, and I wasn't going to read it, but I forgot. I think it does mention it in here. Um, now, oh. Daily Mail reported co-owners Dan Este and Scott Perky, who now reside in Colorado. So I okay. mean, why? But why? Why? Why did the Daily Mail only give them three options? You, they must either demolish the home, turn it into a memorial, or clean it up and rent it out once more. Why can't they sell it? Yeah. But, but what Daily I was Mail, getting at why is, is that Daily Mail making these decisions of what to do with this home? Some <laughs> of those properties, I mean, those companies that I was showing before that I said I wasn't totally sure about were also registered to Colorado. So could that have still have been them? Yeah, very yeah. possible. Mm. No, and, and again, if, if this is a drug distribution house, which all records, reports, and witness statements seem to indicate, and it has been for many years, dating back to when these fellows may or may not have acquired this property. Back at, what was uh, Perky's date there, 1999, that he registered that computer business? I would say, it, from my indication, from my research, it seems to indicate that fraternity, predominantly fraternity brothers have been residing in that home dating back to 1999. And in more recent years, sorority girls have been residing in that home. But it has been a Greek Greek community home and on the University of Idaho campus or just off slightly off campus for over 20 years. So if there is this long-term and these, these folks, these owners have been associated with it that long, right? So if there is this long-term drug distribution point. I would expect scumbags to own that property right now. Perky's associations go back with that to 1999. That conviction for the Dillon wasn't until 2016. So he's probably been involved in a lot of other suspect <laughs> and unscrupulous behavior throughout that that's, time. That's a good point. But I would expect a landlord to own a drug distribution house, such as what we've inferred here to be somebody of that kind of character in nature is this Perky fellow. Yeah. See, like, again, yeah. like, I, you know, the reason why I did bring some of this stuff up is that I think when you start looking at, Everything that we were just talking about, you know, tunnels under there. I do try to, you know, as silly as it sounds, I do think that's something interesting to talk about. If you start thinking about drugs and then you see all these houses all being owned by the same person in the same area, very convenient because there's a tunnel yeah. near there. It's just like, you know, all this stuff together, you just start to wonder, like, what the hell is really we really looking at, actually? That is a good question. I keep asking myself that exact <laughs> question. What the hell are we really looking at here? Because, again, at the core of it, there's obviously the four homicides, but there's so much more Besides going that, on. Yeah. This has got a lot of tentacles for sure. Hey, listen, guys, I hate to I know, do yeah, this I to forgot, you, but forgot. I got to take off. Uh, again, I, we, we can could wrap sit, it up here. I, I could sit here for another hour and talk about this for <laughs> sure. But, you know, I got some family obligations yeah, that are course, coming yeah, home course, very soon. So uh, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. I'll obviously be in contact with you very shortly. 
and uh, looking forward to because again we're, we're far from done on this oh, deal. Of course, and let, let everybody yeah. just make sure let everybody know where they find your stuff again. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Ron from New England or the Wicked Planet Pod, uh, Wicked Planet Podcast. Sorry, and uh, and you can uh, listen to the Wicked Planet Podcast wherever you find uh, wherever you find uh, podcasts. So come and check me out, and thank you, JJ and NY, for having me on of course, once man, again. That was a blast. I re- oh yeah, it's always a good time. You know, sometimes I gotta take things in, but then I get fired up on something. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. Like so, it. You made some really solid points. But man. anyways, and I, and I want to thank everybody in the chats too that have been uh, kind of putting their two cents in. Uh, so we really appreciate that too. Awesome. But you guys continue on. I'll finish watching this tonight. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, and I'll and I'll talk to you guys real soon because okay. I gotta go get ready for a hurricane. All right, yeah, All right, yeah. Go take home. care of yourself, yeah. man. Stay, stay safe there, okay. Ron. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I'll see you later. All right. Be All good, right. brother. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, uh, I guess, you know, I'll bring up one other thing that I think is actually interesting and something I sure. did want to talk about. Because um, I was, you know, I was like, I'll just wrap it up now. But there, there is something that I do think is very interesting, and there's multiple aspects, I think, about it. This coroner, it, the coroner, right? We never kind of really got I was to say, is it Kathy, my, my butt? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, there's there's few there's a few interesting things where you will see her say that they actually normally don't do autopsies and that they actually have like contracts with other companies to actually do that. But yeah, then you'll that see in the, this case too, the captain. She, she's not a doctor. She's not. She's not a, a pathologist. And then, but then the captain said that we did the autopsy on TV. But well, then yet she even says they didn't. Both are kind of correct. So what happened was this happens with her for any case because she's only an, she's a registered nurse. So in some jurisdictions, Idaho being one of them, you can either be uh, a cop, a registered nurse, or a, or a doctor. And in this circumstance, uh, she's a registered nurse. For example, the coroner in the 2017 Las Vegas shooting event, the Harvest Festival event situation, the coroner for Clark County at that time – wasn't even a nurse or a doctor. He was a cop. So th- certain jurisdictions have those those rules where you can have those people who are not necessarily qualified per se serving the role as a coroner, which I don't necessarily agree with because these people are making determinations in the cause of death. They're not the ones conducting the autopsies, but they're the ones making the final determination. They're the ones signing the paper. So the autopsy in, for the homicide, the quadruple homicide here from the students, the four college students, that was conducted up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, up there on the north north side of the state, near um, right across the border from uh, Spokane, Washington. So I believe that's where Ann Taylor uh, comes from, from Kunitai County. She's the chief public offender, public offender, public defender up there. <laughs> so she's she's probably the chief public offender for a lot of people in the political situation in, in Idaho because I imagine she's pissing a lot of people off. Uh. But, um, yeah, that's where they did the autopsies here. But, yeah, Kathy Mabud isn't really qualified to do much, in my opinion, other than, you know, produce carbon dioxide, I guess. And, and she's even gone to that college, and isn't she involved with that college, too? So, she, yeah, she's a University of Idaho graduate, much like many other characters in this whole saga. She uh, She's actually, so she's a, she's a, she's a, I'm sorry. I think she's an RN and a defense attorney, both, if I remember mm-hmm, her, mm-hmm. Her, her record. So, so yes. she's a, and not only that, so she's also a, you don't need to be an attorney to be a coroner, but you do need to be the RN, but she's also an attorney. She's a, she's a criminal defense attorney. And for some reason she's allowed to be elected to coroner and then also still continue serving in private practice as a criminal defense attorney, which I find to be a bit odd. 
Mm. Oh, you know what? I actually wrote down some stuff about her. I, t- I didn't think I wrote down that much, and I'll just read it off just to. Yeah. All right. Uh, she was a defense attorney and coroner at uh, at Gritman or something like that medical center. Um, uh, she's also an alumni and faculty member at the University of Idaho. She took political science and got her law degree at the University of Idaho in 2001. And uh, one thing that I thought was interesting, and uh, I think uh, Jorm, maybe Jorm can correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think it was true crime design that was kind of showing some emphasis on this lady. And they were showing uh, kind of like info about her from a site online. And I caught it. And I guess maybe they're not into occultism or they, they just missed it themselves. But in the same article that actually states all this information about her, it does mention that she's also a Lions Club member. Oh, interesting. And I, that caught my attention. I was like, hmm. And the Lions Club was formed by Melvin Jones on June 7th in 1917. And Melvin Jones stated his intention was that the Lions Club would be masonry, Without the apron. Interesting. He was a high-level mason, having been initiated into the Garden City Lodge, number 141 in Chicago, Illinois, in 1904. And the Lions Club is... a fraternal order, secret society type of of organization. And they also are... The Lions Club is also very known for dealing and donating with eyeball stuff. You really want to start getting into occultism, which is about the eyes. <laughs> no, I've, I've caught some of your series on that. That is, that is a very interesting topic of conversation. So, I mean, you know, those all those things I think True Crime Design was showing, I was like, damn it, you missed the Lions, uh, Lions Club. But, I, you know, when I started getting into some of the other things that I covered in other shows, like the whole Gematria and showing like sure. the 33 and stuff, it's just like, to me, that caught my attention because I was like, well, now here we have a, a, a possible, I mean, kind of an offshoot of masonry. That's the no, person, I mean, that's the coroner like to it, this yeah. case now. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems to fall within that umbrella of that same network. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Well, um, if I can leave you with this, and sure. folks at the interwebs leave you with this this fun fact um, from this case. This whole environment, I think I messaged you about this recently, Nick. This whole environment kind of has, because I know your interest in the, the, the series Twin Peaks. <laughs> this whole environment seems to have a very Twin Peaks-like atmosphere to this town. I mean, it really does. All these people know each other, right? They're all connected to one another. They all went to the University of Idaho. All the principal people involved in the prosecution of this case are all University of Idaho alums from the chief, from the, from the uh, principal investigating detective, uh, Brett Payne, to the coroner, Kathy Mabutt, to the chief of police, James, James Fry. And then you look at his Fry, his wife is the clerk of courts for Latale County. And you know, many people think the judges have the most power inside a court, 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 you know, courthouse, but it's really not. It's the clerk of courts. They're the ones who really. The judges just work there. The clerk of court is really who's responsible for that for that facility and the activities that, that transpire within it. And this is notable in cases such as the Murdoch the Murdoch case out of South Carolina recently, where that clerk of court from that county is in a whole lot of trouble because what she did was a, b- a bunch of unlawful activities, incriminating that Murdoch fella. To the, to the jury because she's got to give the jury instructions as the clerk of court. And she apparently was giving him uh, a little bit uh, too much instruction, if you will. And uh, wow. so that's how much power these clerk of courts have. Yeah, and that's okay. James Fry's wife. <laughs> so just 
You know what I mean? The police, chief of police, the chief of police that was trying to raid the murder home and the, all the evidence in it on December 7th when they didn't even have a suspect, let alone have a clue. You know what I mean? He's literally driving the U-Haul to empty the place. His wife is the clerk of courts, you know? And then you look at folks like the private driver who dropped off uh, Kaylee Gonzalez and Madison Mogan to the, uh, even the judge's wife works at the, yeah, there you go. Even judge judge's wife works at the university. It's a very Twin Peaks like atmosphere. That is bugged out. But so the private driver, he works for the university. The private driver that dropped off the kids, or Madison Mogan, you know, the young adults, Madison Mogan and Kaylee Gonzalez, you know, essentially the last per, 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 party to see them alive outside of their own roommates, perhaps. Um, that dude's wife works for Moscow PD. So he works for the university. The driver does. His wife works for the PD, right, an administrative function. Right, she's not an officer, but she works for the PD. So again, it's a very Twin Peaks like atmosphere. Yeah, I know you're going to enjoy that reference because I know you like like Twin Peaks. Yeah, no, that's a really great way to put it, actually. Yeah. Wow. That's even t- t- even uh, it's going to be too much to get into now, but like even occultism wise, I could see ties between Twin Peaks and this nice. This whole this all that's very weird that you nice. even said that. That's a good match. But uh, JJ, thank you very much for uh, coming on and for staying yeah. on for, uh, to entertain that little thing about the coroner or whatever. No, uh, I like it. I always like talking about Kathy, my butt. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just the name. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> what? Uh, l- I mean, let everybody know uh, just in case they didn't catch it at the beginning. But your links are in the bottom anyway. Uh, let everybody know uh, what you're about and what you got going on. What show you got? Yeah. Uh, JJ Vance, thanks again for joining us here for this discussion, folks of the interwebs. If you'd like to reach out to me. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at, oper- at operation underscore GCD on Twitter slash X Twixter. You can find me at operation GCD, um, operation GCD at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to me there and uh, again, I'll send Nick, I'll send you the link to my Substack where I'm putting all these, these Idaho, uh, thoughts and uh you know uh notions i have into a, an, a more cogent site picture and analysis of of the case on a Substack entitled uh an isolated yeah i think you i think you sent that to me i saw declared. that i think you might have sent me that link yeah. i was like oh man oh, i already sent you the link yeah okay. yo that shit look, that that looks nice notes. <laughs> what's that yeah that, that that it looks good too yeah, no, I was nice. impressed. So I, yeah, I, I posted an introduction up there. I'm going to continue posting my bi-weekly posts. I'll add it we'll, to the show notes. We'll begin sure. charging for the subscription to that. That, uh, but the first couple chapters will be will be free. Nice. All right, I'll uh, leave a I'll leave a link in there. And when I awesome. get off of here, I'll add it in. And uh, no, th- th- thanks for the invite, Nick. Enjoyed the conversation. I wish wish Ron didn't have to skip out early, but I understand. Yeah. And he. Uh, you both provided some uh, some excellent points, I think, in the discussion today, and especially with the DNA, and, and brought some new ideas. Got my got my wheels turning on a couple topics. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You brought up some good questions for sure. Nice. And that is uh, that is the end of another NY Patriot uh, show. Again, thank you for all the people in the chat and all the people that checked out the live. I really appreciate it. That's why I try to go live so people in the chat can uh, you know join in. And I you know I do say it a lot that uh, if you know I happen to go live and you you're 
even rewatching it. You're watching a little live. Check out the chat that goes on during the live. Sometimes there is a lot of information that's in there. You know, and uh, oh, nice. That's a good yeah, idea. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, the, yeah. yeah, the lives definitely. Uh, the people who were commenting, they normally got some good stuff to add. Because that's show. a different chat section, right? You have the chat, the live chat section, then you have the comments. Yes. Section, right? Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. yeah completely different, different section. Yeah. It's a good point. Yes. So uh, yeah, for people uh, in the chat again, thank you very much. And uh, that's it. And until the next one, everybody be well. Later.